You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. It's OBEHAVE with Arden Moore, the show that teaches you how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Join Arden as she travels coast to coast to help millions better understand why cats and dogs do what they do. Get the latest scoop on famous faces. They're perfectly pampered pets in Who's Walking Who in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails. Garner great pet tips and have a doggone fur-flying fun time. So get ready for the pause and applause as we unleash your all-behave host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Welcome to the Obehave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. I woke up today and I realized many things I take for granted. I can read the time on the digital clock that's located across my bedroom without reaching for my glasses. I rarely get lost driving thanks to my OnStar navigation system. And I love leaping over hurdles and running with my dogs, Chipper and Cleo, in a weekly Leash Your Fitness class. But our two special guests today are here to really open my eyes, and hopefully yours too, about the wonder and joy of special partnerships between a blind person and their guide dog. This is a mutual dependence, a connection that works for the betterment of both the person and the dog. So, I am happy to ask all of us to give pause and applause to our very special guests representing Guide Dogs for the Blind, Morgan Watkins and Emily Simone. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. And did I pronounce your name right, Emily? I hope, Simone? Uh, Simone, it's actually the Italian oh, pronunciation. Awesome. Abundanza. Okay. <laughs> Simone. Okay, well, Morgan and Emily will share insights into training, living, and thriving with guide dogs right after we pay for this show by taking a commercial break. So, sit and stay. We'll be right back. Time for a pause. Four furry ones actually sit and stay. All behave. We'll be right back. Question, what do I want? What do I need? I'll take affection. I really should mention I need time, I need love, I crave attention. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. All Behave is back with more tail-wagging ways to achieve harmony in the household with your pets. Now back to your fetching host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Welcome back to the All Behave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Now it's time to properly introduce our two special guests. First up, Morgan Watkins. 
He is CEO for Guide Dogs for the Blind. Hmm, CEO. Yeah, that means Chief Executive Officer for this nonprofit group. But it also stands for, at least in my opinion, for Canines Extraordinaire, particularly Morgan's own guide dog, Will. Hey, welcome, Morgan. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I love the Austin talk you got here. You're from Austin, right? I am. I've been uh, in Austin proper for 33 years and in Texas much longer than that. All right. We are Austin. I have now moved to Northern California. (laughs) That's okay. Keep that Austin talk and you'll be fine. Now, next up, we have Emily Simone. Her fancy title at Guide Dogs for the Blind is Senior Field Manager and Licensed Guide Dog Instructor. Well, to me, she's that and much more. For two decades, she has played a major paw as a matchmaker, pairing the right guide dog with the right visually impaired person. That's not an easy task, but she does it with compassion. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm glad we got your last name pronounced right, you know. (laughs) That's fine. I'm used to it. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get started. Uh, Morgan, can you give us a short take on what Guide Dogs for the Blind is all about? Absolutely. Well, Guide Dogs for the Blind uh, started out here in Northern California in 1942. A woman by the name of Lois Maryhugh decided that it was time to have a guide dog school on the West Coast for returning World War II vets. So beginning then, she began to grow the organization, and we moved to our current corporate, the the central location, in uh, 1947 in San Rafael, and opened up a second campus in the mid-90s in Boring, Oregon, just about 20 minutes outside of Portland. We have provided guide dogs uh, right now about three, 350 dogs a year, are paired with blind men and women in the United States and Canada, and about 12,000 matches made during our, uh, during our lifetime in the 68 years. We've been providing guide dogs at no charge ever to any blind man or woman who qualifies for one. That's not bad, and that's not an easy feat. These dogs just don't come out of the womb going, I'm ready to do my job, right? No, it takes an incredible amount of work, and I've got to mention that Emily Simone, back (laughs) in an earlier part of her life, back in 1995, actually trained, personally trained, my very first guide dog, Phantom. Oh, and that's a funny spelling, F-A-N-T-O-M. I know Phantom was retired, but... That means that you guys have a really special connection, you and Emily. It goes back many, many, many years. It mm-hmm. does. Now, Emily, what got you involved with guide dogs? You, you're an accomplished dog trainer, but you know this is a special kind of training. So how did you get involved with guide dogs for the blind? Well, Arden, it's actually a very amusing story. I grew up in a very, very rural, small mountain town in Colorado and uh, was, uh, didn't get a lot of exposure to things because we had 500 inches of snow every year. What was the name of the town, just in uh, case? Steamboat Springs. That... Steamboat Springs, Steam... Colorado is where I grew up. And oh, uh, it was a cool. great, great place, ski resort, fabulous place to grow up. And uh, honestly, I had very little exposure to animals. Um, I was always an animal lover from the day I could, could see an animal. Uh, <laughs> but I really had no official skill or training as a dog handler, um, I had a poodle. <laughs> that was about my, the extent of my dog handling experience. Uh, and I was working at Hog Dogs one day, and a, a blind man, I was in high school, and a blind man came in with his guide dog uh, to uh-huh. Hog Dogs. And, and I saw the, the dog, and I saw the guy, and I watched what this dog was doing, and I started crying. I, I can't explain it. It was, it was just an interesting emotional response to seeing this team, and I was compelled to go up and talk with him. And started talking with him, and he informed me that he had, his dog was from Guide Dogs for the Blind out in California, 
And he said, if you're really interested in guide dogs, you need to call them and get him more information, he says, because you sound like you're really interested and inspired. I said, oh, my gosh, I, how do you, you know, how can I do this job? How can I be involved? So I contacted the school, and I told them that I would be the best dog trainer they ever saw. And they said, they said what's your experience? And I said, I had a poodle. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they kind of they kind of smiled over the phone and said, well, that's great. You sound like you're really motivated, but you really need more experience. So, um, And I was, I think, 17 at the time. So they, they requ- um, requested that I go get some more professional animal handling and uh, go get my college degree. So that's what I did, and I spent four years. I uh, went to college and uh, kind of waited and bided my time until I got my degree, and I worked at a vet clinic and also worked at the Colorado School for the Deaf and Blind. And eventually I reapplied, and, and they uh, they offered me an interview. So I flew out to California. I had no money, but I did the interview, and for some reason they, they liked what they saw, and it's been an amazing, amazing ride ever since. I, I just can't say enough about uh, what this, this career has meant for me personally, and professionally, but just mostly because of of the things that I've been able to see um, over my career with regards to what animals and dogs can do for people and what people are willing to do for their dogs. Well, see, that ice cream scoop was a truly a scoop of a different kind for you, I think, that day, huh? Absolutely. I still have an affection for haagen I hate to say. <laughs> well, looking at your photo, you look like you're in great shape, so you must have the world's fastest metabolism. I have you. <laughs> Ice cream no, scoop. I just have a, a pet dog who makes me run four miles a day. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I just provide older pictures. <laughs> oh, do you? Oh, you're smart, Morgan. You're smart. Well, you have a new dog now, Will. Let's talk a little bit about what's happened because you, you know, in checking out, uh, researching you, I was sniffing around. You had mentioned you lost your sight at age 11. And what was going on? You started losing your sight. What was your background with that? Well, I lost... Uh, I had a lot of my vision. The problem was diagnosed when I was 11, and I'd lost my night vision. Over time, I started to lose the day vision, and like a lot of other uh, blind men and women or people losing their sight, I knew I'd need to use a cane. You know, a dog seemed like a great idea, but I believed, like a lot of folks do, that I would have to be totally blind before I'd qualify. Now, Mm -hmm. that's not the case, but I didn't know that at the time. And it really kind of boiled down to, One of the big events that made the difference was I was walking down the street in Austin, Texas, uh, down Congress Avenue towards the state capitol. And I was tap, tap, tapping my way along when in the middle of the sidewalk I ran into a fire hydrant, which didn't make any sense at all. And so I stood there for a second and I tapped it again and just something wasn't quite right. And so I tapped it one more time and I finally reached down. And it was this little boy's head. And he was standing there petrified. Now, fortunately, I'm a lightweight with a cane, but it made it real clear there has got to be a better way to get around. So that and a couple of other things convinced me. That and trying to cross Market Street while on a uh, business trip out to San Francisco convinced me I needed to do something different. So I began to look for uh, a guide dog school that would meet all of my needs. And I found Guide Dogs for the Blind out here in California and Oregon and decided to apply. And then I got Emily's dog, Phantom. My second dog was about a little over six years ago. And they said, well, Morgan's kind of, we need to get him a goofy dog, you know, because they work hard <laughs> to match them. Yeah. So when Will first walked into the room, I got on the floor and he hopped in my lap and started spinning around, licking my face, saying, I don't know who you are, but I like you, and we can either work or play. You tell me. 
and we've been uh, traveling all over the country, uh, both in my first career and now in my second, uh, talking about guide dogs. What was your first career, Morgan? I was a, an IT professional at the University of Texas at Austin. I ran our computer support operations for quite a number of years. Wow, that's impressive. And now you're, uh, did you like my name for CEO, Canines Extraordinaire? I think that's a good title. I do. I'm, I'm working on the O part, but yes, I do. And it, it, it does describe it well. It's the only place I know where when you go to a business meeting, you can, it's just the greatest place to be because we do <laughs> make a difference in lives. But it's also cool because I had a business meeting the other day and decided, you know, I need to go get my dog a bath. So me and the person <laughs> in the meeting stood around the tub where I was bathing my dog and had, where else can you go to work and have that kind of day? where you can have a productive meeting while bathing your dog. It's just a wonderful place to be. Now, you know, you could be starting a trend, you know. Maybe you could boost the economy if people would start being a little think outside the box, including litter box for all the cat listeners out there. But Absolutely. you know what I'm saying? I guess there won't be a guide cat. I don't know. What's your take on that, you two? Well, I think the only danger there is they'll want to keep you hiding in the bushes <laughs> uh, and then wait until the car is just about to pass and make a mad dash. Yeah, that That's not the healthiest way to move around when you're using a guide animal. What's your take, Emily, on a guide cat? I love cats. I think cats are great, um, maybe because they are not dogs. and They are uh, independent, self-motivated, and, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that, that quality in, in cats. However, um, guide dogs are, and most certainly uh, service dogs, are absolutely loyal and dedicated to the job that they do, and they are so incredibly willing, and they will do anything for their for their handler when they become bonded. And uh, that is something that uh, I know cats can do, um, but I know cats also do uh, when they when they feel like they'd like to do it. <laughs> so yeah. um, you know, I I haven't had much success training my own cats, um, but I certainly enjoy them. Well, what are some things, I mean, when you're sizing up a dog that could be a good contender as a service dog, a guide dog, if you will, what are some of the things that you look for as a professional dog trainer? Well, I have the tremendous advantage of working at an organization that actually does all of our own breeding. Um, So I have an amazing (laughs) pool of, of, of genetic material that I get to work with in all of these animals, and we've been breeding our own our own dogs for 68 years, and so we are breeding for very select quality and uh, temperament traits and mm-hmm. certainly physical characteristics as well. And uh, it's probably pretty well known by now that uh, the Labrador Retriever um, is the universally the most successful breed of guide dog across the world. Um, in fact, most guide dog schools across the world use um, majority Labrador Retrievers. Um, but there are two other breeds that have proven to be just as successful for our program, and that would be, uh, of course, the Golden Retriever, of which uh, Mr. Watkins is a huge fan. <laughs> yeah, because of Phantom and Will. <laughs> that's right. Well, they, and, they were beautiful dogs. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the wonderful thing about the, the, the Golden Retriever is they have those beautiful, big, flowing coat. But they, you know, they all possess the Golden Retriever, the Labrador Retriever, and then the third breed that we use is a cross between the Labrador and the Golden Retriever. And what is so great about those particular three breeds is is that they do have that incredible willing, tractable attitude. They, they love to be around people. They love attention. They love to work. They are a, a working breed, um, but they have a great size. They're not overly large or overly small. They have a great coat that is fairly easy to manage, unlike um, some of the big coated Nordic breeds that would be really challenging. 
to... You mean uh, like my golden support. retriever husky that makes my vacuum work overtime? Exactly. Yeah, that's oh. my point. And <laughs> certainly all of our dogs do shed. But, you know, when you get in some of those big, heavy-coated breeds, that can be challenging for someone who is visually impaired or someone who has to take their dog into public areas all the time, such mm-hmm. as transportation and that type of thing. So, so I mean, in terms of physical characteristics, those three breeds have worked so successfully for us. But, but in terms of temperament, we really are looking for dogs that have a, a real willing, friendly temperament that um, don't possess a lot of um, potential for aggression or possessiveness. And a lot of that is in, innate in some breeds, um, but it also needs to be socialized as well. Um, so it's really a combination of the two that really produces the quality of dogs that we have. And then, of course, intelligence is very important. Um, yeah. You know, we like to, we like dogs that, <laughs> that definitely understand the job and and perform their job. Um, but over the years, I have I while I've worked with only three or four breeds as guide dogs for training, um, I I'm, never cease to amaze me the different temperaments that, that a dog can have, even within, within the same breed. So, um, and I think that's what makes it so enjoyable for, for the instructors is getting to know these dogs and getting to know everything about them, their likes, their dislikes, their temperament. Are they outgoing? Are they a little more quiet and reserved? And really looking at that dog and, and when we get that group of students in saying, okay, where is that dog going to go? And and it's fun. I mean, it's certainly really fun for the instructors. It's challenging, and it's not easy. It is, you know, we're looking at a lot of factors. And, well, ex- I'll use the example of, of Morgan. When he came in he um, to class, you know, he was absolutely right from the start, Mr. Social, <laughs> Mr. Social, right. and with, with a quirky, funny sense of humor. And we all, you know, really liked him immediately. And so when we started doing the matching process and we were all sitting together in the instructor's room and we had talked with Morgan about what he wanted and he had said he was, he was pretty open. You know, he, he didn't know what a guide dog was about and would trust us to make that decision. And so we all sat there together. <laughs> and I'll, I'll never forget this. I mean, almost simultaneously, what we would do is we, after we talked with someone and they left, we would sit and look at our list of dogs that were class ready and available for matching. And almost to the beat, there were Three of us in the room, all three of us said Phantom. I mean, it was just instantaneous uh-huh. uh, because Phantom was very much like Morgan, just mm-hmm. just outgoing and sweet and, and just funny, quirky sense of humor. Um, he could be very reserved, but then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he'd do something just, just fun. And I just had, you know, it was just so fun when all of us immediately recognized that that was going to be the match. Um, and, you know, for better or for worse, Morgan is now a confirmed Golden Retriever lover because we made him match with a Golden Retriever. But uh, he, it's a great thing. No, it sounds great. Morgan, you want to add something quickly before we go to commercial break about uh, well, Phantom? Well, I'd love to. It's one of the great joys is we tease about the, the quirkiness and the fun thing. And people, when you see a guide dog working, they are so focused. And you do. You depend on them for your life every day. Take that same dog out of harness when you get home or in the office, and you've got a dog who is bouncing and just, you know, gets to go ahead and just be a dog and just have the most fun. And Phantom was absolutely, when he worked, he kept me safe. When I took him out of harness, he was my special nutcase, just the dearest. (laughs) All right, that's a great comment. We're speaking with uh, Morgan Watkins and Emily Simone. They are with Guide Dogs for the Blind, and you are listening to the Obehave Show on Pet Life Radio with Arden Moore. So hang tight, sit, stay. We'll be right back after this commercial break. 
Time for a walk on the red carpet, of course. All Behave will be back in a flash right after these messages. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Hi, this is world champion poker player Annie Duke telling you to tune in to Arden Moore and her Behave show on Pet Life Radio. We're back from the lot. Just checked the paper and we had a record showing at the box. The letterbox, that is. Now back to Behave. Here's Arden. Welcome back to the Obehave Show. I'm your host, Arden Moore. I'm delighted that we have Morgan Watkins, the CEO for Guide Dogs for the Blind, and one of the premier trainers and uh, a gal that's been involved with Guide Dogs for the Blind for over 20 years. That's Emily Simone. And I'm thinking pasta now every time I say your name, Emily. Sorry. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I saw an amazing video, and hopefully we'll post it on the guest bio section when your show airs on Pet Life Radio. And it was that four, I guess it was like the four and a half minute video that talked about the power of interdependence. It's called Soulmates. And I don't know, Morgan, you want to talk about this? Because we were just talking about you with Phantom. But when people see a person that's walking with a guide dog, you know, there's always a wide berth people give. And you just wonder, how do they get on that bus? How do they do these things? But I thought this uh, short video really shared about sort of the relationship, this this wonderful interdependence, this mutually accepted dependence, if you will. Can you touch upon that? Absolutely. I mean, a guide dog partnership is just that. I have to know where I want to go. I have to know what directions I want to take. And I communicate those to the dog when we're going to look for a door, uh, when we need to start looking for a right turn, escalators, elevators, uh, whatever it may be. I let my partner know what I'm trying to do and he or she will look out for me in that film in soulmates which you can find at guidedogs.com with soulmates there's one line in there and I've seen it I don't know 100 200 times a whole bunch there's one line that uh, gets to me every time I hear it and that's uh, someone who you trust with your life every single day and when you cross a street a busy street like market uh, or any busy street in any city, or a street where there is very little traffic, knowing that you've got someone, another soul, looking out for you, watching for traffic, looking for that Prius that's not making any oh, sound to you. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. will change gears. And our dogs are explicitly taught something that's, you know, you won't find in many places. It's called intelligent disobedience. If something starts to go very wrong on your travel, such as a car, I don't see. That dog is going to get the two of us out of trouble now. And as Emily can tell you, she said to me over and over and over and over and over again in class, follow your dog because mm-hmm. you do learn to depend. But 
I get back to my home after work. He depends on me. I feed him first. I take him out first. It is a. It is all about love and respect for your guide. And let's touch upon this intelligent disobedience, if you will, Emily. That seems like a really tough skill to impart on, upon a dog. It is. It's, it is certainly um, the most critical skill that a dog needs to be comfortable with. And I'll be honest, not every dog is up to that task. It, it's, it's a lot of responsibility to make a decision independent of the command of the handler. Um, in most areas of dog training, um, it's all about, I give you a command, you respond. There are various ways to get the dog to understand the command and to respond, um, and we do use different tools to get that behavior. But it is very unique and rare in in animal training for to to put that kind of power and control in the animal itself, to actually make a decision based on the circumstances of the moment and not what the handler is asking the person to do. And so... Um, it, it, it's a difficult behavior to teach, uh, and, it, and it's done in a couple of different ways as well. There's actually um, a couple of elements to it. The first one, which is interesting, that m- not a lot of people, just general dog handlers may know, but I'm certain that probably agility handlers understand, is a lot of dogs do not have a natural comfort level or ability to back up. They mm-hmm. might back up a step or two and then go side to side or go forward. But but it's because dogs have four legs. Sometimes they're a bit disconnected from their back end. So and and they just naturally don't back up. But in a scenario like Morgan just elucidated, where you're crossing a street, a car comes out of nowhere, the dog has to respond to that danger. Um, if the dog's natural instinct, just as ours would be, is to bolt one way or the other and just get the heck out of there, um, which is a natural instinct. But that would be unsafe for a visually impaired handler. What we have to teach these dogs to do first is to back up out of the way, and that's not wow. natural. And one of the ways we teach dogs to get more comfortable with backing up is using um, basically a narrow chute that's um, just narrow enough for the dog. It's about six or seven feet long. We put a bowl of food at one end and let the dog go into that chute. They go down to the end. They finish their food, happy as they can be. But the only way out of the chute is to go back, to go back. Oh, okay. And so they have to figure it out. It's really interesting watching the dog's mind and trying to figure out how they get out of this circumstance. And the trainers are there supporting them. Good. Come on out. Come on out. <laughs> Eventually, they figure it out. They figure out they got to back up. And the more they do that, the more relaxed they get. So that's the first element is teaching the dog how to, re- how to back up. The oh, second element of traffic training is helping them understand that a <laughs> large, heavy vehicle is dangerous. And the way we teach that is basically exposing them to getting close to a vehicle and teaching them how they get out of that circumstance. So we do have a driver, and they roll slowly forward towards the dog, and they have uh, the trainer with the dog in a harness. And they're basically just hanging on to the harness, not the handle. And as the the car rolls forward very slowly, the dog is going to react to that because they see it coming. They want to move out of the way. So Mm -hmm. we allow them to move out of the way and reinforce the behavior when they back up. And so they learn that if this car coming, I can get out of this very easily by backing up, and I get reinforced for that. So we get them comfortable with the process of getting out of the way of the car. And then the Good. last exposure is once they understand how to back up, they're comfortable with how to do it, they understand how to get out of that situation, then we just start you know, having the car come in a little faster, coming in at different angles, and the dog every time it just understands, I can get out of this. So it's, it's, it's systematic, it's very humane, it's very positive for the dog, 
but and we're tapping into their natural instinct to get out of the way of a car. They realize it's bigger than them. <laughs> but what it translates to and what is so amazing to me is that these dogs, even if they haven't, you know, we go through this systemized process in training. They're matched in class. We even give the, the students an opportunity to have some natural traffic checks. We use somebody in a car, um, and we even have a hybrid vehicle that we use for some of the traffic checks to really empower the handler to understand what their dogs can do for them. And, and they get to see what their dogs can do. But I have, I also work in the field with, with all of our, our clients, and I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people who never had any traffic checks or anything for years once they got their guide dog. Everything was fine. And then one day, six years later, something happens, and the dog remembered the training. It was wow. so just, you know, they just got so used to and understanding that natural response and to back up safely and independently and do it in a proper way. Um, it's still there six years later. It's just phenomenal to me. Wow. So you've come a long way from scooping ice cream. Definitely, <laughs> Emily. I mean, My mother would agree. <laughs> I mean, I liked how you described yourself. You even say that, I think you said in one of the articles I was reading that, let me see if I can get this thing, because it was kind of funny how you did it. You have said that you are, wear many hats. Now, you should do what I say. I say I wear many collars in the pet world, because I'm an editor, author, behaviorist, and all. But you are a trainer, behaviorist, vet assistant, orientation and mobility specialist, grief counselor, transportation specialist, and even a light housekeeper. Does that mean you're light like the wind, or you do light work? I wasn't quite sure by that description. Well, it, this job is, I think, this is the best part about being a guide dog instructor, is that you really do so many unique things. It's not just about training a dog, because it's, it's a unique career in that people who often get into the dog training or animal handling world are dealing mostly with the animals, and very rarely right. with the people. And I have the advantage of being able to work with both, and, and work with both regularly. So in the past 20 years, I have I have been able to meet some amazing, astounding people who just blow me away with their, their perseverance and confidence and ability to, to get out there and, and, and maintain an independent lifestyle in spite of a significant disability. And I just watch every day how these dogs do that for them. But, you know, it, in my career as a field manager and working with, with these people, I love being there for them and helping them. And, and, and that may mean everything from... You know, going in and, and uh, well, I just had an, a situation a couple of weeks ago. I was in Colorado, and I came in, and I was seeing a guy that I've known for years, and he has an older dog, and unfortunately the dog had some loose stool because he had gotten into something, and, and the poor <laughs> dog had had diarrhea all over the house. And, you know, Holy it happens. Crap, Any yeah. dog handler <laughs> understands that. So yeah. I was able to actually help him, you know, clean up the house, which can be very challenging when you're visually impaired. So, like I said, I've, I've done it all. I can't tell you all the unique things that I've done through the years to support our teams in the field. And I think that's probably one of the reasons I've heard that, that – Clients really love Guide Dogs for the Blind. Is we, we really try and go above and beyond to, to, to work with these clients and treat them independently and respectfully and, and really do what we need to do to keep them safe. Well, I think that was great because, you know, sometimes we all have little issues with our bladder and you never eat the wrong food. And, you know, it's, it's something like that I wouldn't even think about. So I give you a pause up for helping out that situation. And Morgan, before we head off the air, what's the next things? What's going on with Guide Dogs for the Blind? What are some things we should be paying attention to? And, and how can our listeners help? Well, there's so many different ways to help. And I always, I always uh, tick them off with time, talent, and treasure. Um, Guide Dogs for the Blind receives no government funding, 
So, of course, uh, we do very much appreciate any support we can get from the public because uh, it goes to take care of a lot of dogs and a lot of uh, men and women who uh, are able to take advantage of the services we offer at no charge to them. There's also a lot of volunteer opportunities for people, everything from coming to one of the campuses either in Boring, Oregon or in San Rafael. There is puppy raising uh you know, tasks where people can go ahead and help raise the puppies that grow up to be guide dogs. They're breeder keepers, people who actually uh, take care of the dogs that produce the litters that produce the great guide dogs. And we even do a lot of foster care. If we have a dog that's been sick or perhaps the handler has been ill and the dog comes back, we want our dogs in homes. We want our dogs to be loved on and respected every dog that comes through the program. Whether they are, become a guide or a career change dog, we, we are going to look out for these animals. And it's, uh, there are so many different volunteer uh, opportunities. By going to guidedogs.com on the web, uh, you can find out about our programs, uh, take a look at the volunteer opportunities, how to give to guide dogs. And if you hunt hard enough, you can find a picture of what I think is the most beautiful dark red golden retriever in the world. Oh, gee, wonder Will. who. <laughs> <laughs> he is a sweetheart. How old is Will now? Will is a little over eight years old. I understand he's getting a little gray, but I'm in denial about that. I haven't seen myself since I was in my mid-20s, and I had no gray then. fairly certain I have none now, and I feel the same is true for Will. Well, you know, that is kind of nice because there is such an ageless beauty that Will and the other guide dogs possess. And so I think it's kind of nice so you don't see the gray on the muzzle. Well, my wife likes it, too, because she is, as I've told her many times, my, uh, my picture of her is uh, the last time I saw her, clearly, she was probably 24 years old. And we've been married 30 years, and she has not changed a bit. Oh, my gosh. That is awesome. You're giving me tingles, man. You're giving me tingles. <laughs> there is utility to, uh, to marrying a blind fellow. <laughs> there you go. I hope that you guys will be a guest on our show again. I, I really, I think we just scratched the surface, but I want people to dash over to guidedogs.com and see how you can help out. And I really thoroughly enjoyed having you both on, and uh, hopefully we can do some more things together. I hope so, too. Arden, you've been a joy, and thank you for having us here today. I loved it. Thanks again. All right. We've been speaking with Morgan Watkins and also Emily Simone from Guide Dogs for the Blind. I hope that you've learned a little bit more into the world of Guide Dogs for the Blind, and hopefully there's some way that you can ever put time, money, or energy into helping this great group. Just go to guidedogs.com. I also want to give a pause up to my cool producer, Mark Winter. He makes this show happen each and every week. He has to deal with the likes of me. So, until next time, this is your flea-free host, Arden Moore, delivering just two words to all you two-, three-, and four-leggers out there. Oh, behave! Coast to coast and around the world, it's All Behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All Behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Every week on demand, this is the place for a special paparazzi treat. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>